Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Obscuria Film Obscuria Filmcast, where I can't speak and we talk about weird movies. Um, today, Seth Michael May is presenting The Swimmer. Take it away, Seth. Okay, so today we're doing 1968, The Swimmer, starring Burt Lancaster. And um, when you talk about The Swimmer, will you talk about yourself? That's what we're going to find out today, because that's what the poster is for the swimmer said. So that, that tells you how uh, they didn't know how to sell this movie probably. And the trailer. And tell us a little the bit about the backstory movie. of your father in this movie and how Okay, you so this movie, uh, I believe I saw for the first time 13 years ago because my dad had died and I wondered, he had always told me his favorite movie was this movie that Burt Lancaster was in where he swam in other people's pools. That was his plot summary of the swimmer. So after he died 13 years ago, I decided to see the swimmer. I was like, this is not just about like my like I thought it was about a guy who gets up in the morning and he goes and swims in the neighbor's pool. Wait, is that all he told you about it? Or did he That's have all he else told to me? Okay. That was his analysis. Didn't he have some like this is deep his favorite takeaway movie? about why it was his favorite movie? Yeah, because he swam in other people's pools. And That's why he liked it. And, and my, my father, father loved loved swimming. to swim. Okay. My father just loved to swim everywhere. We went, and my father was a lifeguard. And uh, my sister was a lifeguard because my father was a lifeguard. He was just very into uh, swimming. And uh, I guess if you're uh, on another planet, you think that this movie could be about a guy who swims in other people's pools uh, if you don't understand subtext or theme. Um, <laughs> and I guess maybe he didn't. Um, <laughs> I, 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 uh, because the swimmer... Um, okay, so this is like... It's an introduction to uh, the fall of the studio system. And a lot of older actors, he wasn't even that old, but he was, he was probably in his, how old do you think Burt Lancaster is here? Like, he's a boy. He's, he's, yeah. he's in his mid fifties. Um, I have it right here. I can he tell you exactly. good for his mid fifties. What? He looks good for his mid Yeah, he looks good, especially from that, for that period of time. I mean, um, Burt, Burt Lancaster was a huge star, um, and just like in he was uh, 55, because that was 65. He was born in 1913. Okay, and he won Best Actor uh, eight years prior to this movie, so that was probably from, what? Nice from, from here to eternity. No, uh, uh, Elmer Gantry. Elmer Gantry. Okay. So like he played all these like really epic like cowboys and super heroic masculine dudes, and then. 1967, 68, 69 comes around and everybody had to start to reinvent themselves. Like guys like Charlton Heston started, you know, getting chased around by monkeys and did Planet of the Apes. You know, they, they left Ben-Hur, that whole universe in like 54. And then some guys, which is the whole point of, um, who were younger, um, which is the whole point of uh, Once Upon a Time in, in uh, Hollywood, they just, couldn't survive. They couldn't make the jump to movies and TV didn't want them and they just sort of dissolved. Um, so this movie is the same year as The Graduate and it's it's the beginning of the anti-hero movement in film. And yeah, it's, uh, this, it's kind of like, has a lot of overlapping themes with The Graduate, I mean, even stylistically. It's stylistically, yeah, it's, it's very similar to- like the characters and the dialogue and the yup, the whole like yuppie, like making fun of yuppies thing. And I, yeah, and I mean, it's a really good companion piece to like Mad Men. It's the same time period. I think they make little references that he might have been an ad exec. They never tell you exactly what he was, yeah. but they say they can get him on a different firm and there's some really creative guys there, but he'd have to take a pay cut. And he's like, what pay cut? But basically, um, when we're introduced to Burt Lancaster's uh, character, Nettie, uh, he's swimming in someone's pool. And the first shot we see of Nettie, um, when we see his close-up, is a, a drink being lowered to him. And that's mm -hmm. one of many drinks that he wait, will have. Wait, you're, in the wait hold on. I think this is an important point. Uh, you're a little mistaken there. The first shot was him running through the woods. Oh, the first shot is him running through the woods? No, the first shot, the first shot of him is of, of him. him running through the woods. But the first shots of the film are these really weird nature shots. With like oh, nature animals. shots, yeah. yeah like these okay. Disney-esque nature shots of owls and rabbits 
and the woods. Those are the first shots. But the first close-up of his face is a drink being lowered into it was, the frame. It was cool how they how they did it. Let me get a prop. They did it like like this. Yeah, it's lowered. And then his face comes up like this. Yeah. Mm. And that's the first of many drinks that Nettie will be having in this. Uh, I have a small. I have a small question. Uh, where was he running? Where was he running from? Okay, so we never know. Uh, these are my theories. He's either gotten out of a sanitarium where he's been gone for a while, or he's been away somewhere in denial about what's happened in his former life. We don't know, I'm, but everyone I'm else, only, yeah. I'm only asking because he, he didn't wear clothes the entire movie. So where was he before this? But that's that's my first quick question. But go ahead, Seth. You're explaining this. It's never it's just never, for the audience. He never wore clothes the entire movie. No. Go ahead. No. No. It takes place in one day, apparently. And if, it is, he, if it is one day, because the seasons change radically in that day. They do, yeah. but yeah. they they start off with the conversation of he says, and he lays out the whole film. Yeah. I'm going to swim from this pool to this pool to this pool to this pool to my house. All the way home. Which this usually doesn't mean when I say I'm going home and I tell you how, I'm usually not talking about a year from now. Yeah. I'm just saying today, maybe into tomorrow, but that's it. Um, so at least that's how they, they set it up. Yes, the seasons do change and time does. Time is not... It's ambiguous. The, right the, whole, the whole thing is ambig is ambiguous. So I think it's kind of cool that it's uh it's layers of symbolism, but I did not like this movie at all. But please, Seth, I, I dare you to I dare you to say what happens in this movie. I really I really want to know. You find out who uh Ned is and what his life's perception was, uh, and the truth is far from what he seems to be holding on to in the movie. Mm -hmm. Like he was probably once it, very successful, or at least he thought himself someone who kept up with the Joneses. Mm -hmm. And it's remained that way. He says something to the little boy. Uh, he says, um, if you hold on to something and you believe it, it's true. No matter what anybody else says and that's basically what happens for the whole movie is like they're like like uh julie the the babysitter his former daughter. babysitter says uh well your daughters don't need a babysitter anymore they're they're grown and he ignores that not like, even that he books her for an appointment come over sunday yeah you'll see the girls on sunday come on over yeah, yeah. so i think there's a level of um off he's not he's not well he's he's not off i thought i thought it was it, it opens up he's swimming in this pool and uh tonight's the night sarah and i usually watch the sopranos and i forgot we had to watch this and so i so we watched this instead and sarah is now mad at me because i made her watch <laughs> this movie instead of the sopranos but i just thought it was there's a lot of symbolism there but if you have if your whole movie is just symbolism and signifiers that links to a significance that's different in every viewer. It's not, you know, there's a fine line there because to me, it kind of doesn't mean anything about anything. It's just, uh, it's like a coloring book. I gotta like, yeah. I, I gotta paint in everything. It. It's like, I gotta write a little one page essay about who this guy is, where he's from, all this stuff to make the movie complete. And he doesn't wear clothes. And he races a horse in the movie. I expect I expect there to be a laugh track when I say he races a horse. Then he forces this blonde girl who was his babysitter, Julie, along with him on the on the ride. He doesn't force her. Not only that, oh, yeah, he doesn't force her. He doesn't force her. Oh, come he on, likes the idea man. and she comes along with it. After the, like two minutes of come on, come on, come on. If you think she was forced or coerced uh, Sean, in any way. Okay. Have you ever seduced a woman in your life? 
That's not begging. Is not seducing. You didn't he beg her. Begging. That's ridiculous. Uh, it's uh, ridiculous. You're misremembering, and you just watched it today. You just watched yeah, it. I did. I just. I just saw it. Yeah. Listen, it's, it's a very simple movie. It's a man. I know, but it's a man who clearly. It's. It, it's very obvious early on in the film that this is a man who's having a midlife crisis, but it's like a soft kind of gentle midlife crisis. Yeah. And as it goes on, it's like that vice thing where. It, Things keep getting more and more tense and you're more and more asking what's really going on here. Then you find out at the end that this midlife crisis that he's having is way worse than you could have ever imagined. And that's the whole movie. That's it. I do. I do. I do. I don't know. I do agree complicated about that. It's very simple. It's beautiful. No, I get it. But I do agree with you. They really did that midlife crisis crescendo very well. Yeah, they did because he was like Mister Mister Lovey Dovey in the beginning, and in the end, it's like, what's this naked guy doing on and, my lawn? And it goes from it goes from people enthusiastic because they haven't seen him in a while, like the first pool. It's like wow, and the first few, it's like, oh, this guy's cool. Everybody loves him. To like somewhat <clears throat> somewhat neutral at a certain point, and then it just devolves into like like really bad interactions that get worse and worse and until they end up being hostile. It also like, goes um, down in that same trajectory. It goes down in socioeconomic status. So it seems like the wealthier pools are either more oblivious to it and they play along and the people who are like own the bar um, and have to go to the chlorinated pool um, can see the truth. So I don't know which is which, but it yeah. does. It's, it's on the same slope. So it could mean... Yeah, that's an interesting observation. That's a that's a good point too. I didn't notice that too because uh, yeah, the yeah, uh, was, by the time you get to the overchlorinated public pool, it might as well be hell. Yeah. By the time he has to walk across the street, and and then I, I've always hated like when you go to a public pool and they're like really bitchy about you taking a shower, and then washing your feet, and they make a real point of how unpleasant a suburban public pool can be. And all the other pools before that have been like, you know, they drink. Yeah, you can drink drink. it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just think that, yeah, no, I did not notice that. Yeah, I guess that was kind of cool. I was just so mesmerized by Burt Lancaster because I haven't seen him much. I saw him in From Here to Eternity and Field of Dreams. But he does keep, he has a, you know, I guess he's a good looking man still in his mid fifties. But to me, it was like the midpoint of the film was that uh, Julie, Anna, Juliana, they're in the woods and she's talking about how much as a child, she had a crush on him. And then it got to a point where they're laying in the woods and he makes a move at her and he, she's like, no. And then he's like, tries to pull her in and then she runs away. And then after that, it was just like, it built up to that. It just was kind of really cringy. That's not what happened. Me. That's not what happened. No? Okay. No. He never tried to kiss her. I mean, he never really made a move move. He just started talking in a cringy romantic way. Like I'm going to, I'm never going to, I won't let these guys bother you. I'm going to take you to lunch every day and we're going to spend time together. And then she's like, well, I don't think my boyfriend would like that. And then he kept us, you know, kind of escalating it, Yeah. but it was all verbal and it was weird. I agree with you. It was like, it was kind of poorly, it was poorly calibrated on his part. He was, you know, he probably could have been embarrassed. Yeah, but hold on. There, she had a whole monologue about her love for like this old man as the babysitter, which I thought yeah. was kind of cringy well, because it's yeah. like. But that's what I I was But that's like, why I, I thought it was like I thought her response to him was rather incongruent. Yeah, I I yes. would have expected after that kind of confession that she mm-hmm. would have been completely ready for um for him to uh, escalate physically with her. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. You know, especially why would she tell him that now that she's like 20 years old? Like, you know, why would you say that if you weren't like that's usually I, I uh, think she says it because she feels she can. Because they're both adults now and there's nothing going on between them. And it's been a long time since they've seen each other. And she feels she can say that. And then she goes on to talk about how she's like, and this tells you how much things have changed. 
they're dating. She she met her boyfriend with a computer, and that he acts like that's like from Mars or something. Like it's the most horrible, like unromantic, cold thing, you know, you could you could possibly do. So I think that like uh, I think that the, the the she feels like she's an adult and she can talk like this, and he's just not at all hip to this new generation. I could see I could see that. It's just yeah. uh I got the uh the uh narration here for the for the book and it says for the for the character Ned is a delusioned man who lives in a twisted reality that was born out of his repression of the truth. His youth slowly seems to face away and show that he is actually much older and facing midlife crisis in the life he thought he had has all slipped away, including his wealth, friends, and family. It was just so crazy. Like, based off a short was, story. It's not based off a book. One short story. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because Sarah pages, and I were like, how long is this book? Because it's 12 it was just, pages. It's a 12 it, page story. It says 12 pages. I could, make, yeah, I, I think it, it would be better if it was that kind of a movie because we're in these places. It was cool to see Joan Rivers. But <laughs> that's Joan me, Rivers' first movie part ever. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, um, and her name was Joan. There is a um, yeah, that's Joan Rivers' real face, and um, and uh, she was friends with the director. It's the director's second movie. There was a huge conflict, and uh, this happened also on the movie um, Atlantic City with Burt Lancaster. He was very hard on directors because he produced a lot of his own stuff, and this movie wouldn't have gotten made without. Burt Lancaster's star quality. Mm -hmm. um, so they rehearsed it with the director. She was very nervous. And when the director left, Burt Lancaster said to her, now I'm gonna tell you how we're really gonna do it. So he's moving her around. And if you watch the scene, she talks about it in a clip from a documentary called The Story of the Swimmer, which I think is only available on the Blu-ray. I don't know if it's available on the DVD, but parts of it you can watch on Vimeo. And then evidently at the end of the day, the director said to her, I see what that son of a bitch is doing. Do it the way I told you. So that sounds like a nightmare situation for any actor, let alone if it's your first time acting with a big star and you're friends with the director. You can, tell, you can tell that Burt Lancaster was, play, was kind of manipulating the direction of the film because the things that he did I mean, if you watch him, he's really, he, he's, he, he's doing all these really seductive things with his acting. I don't even just mean like, yeah. like sexually seductive. I mean, seductive to like the actors that he's working with and seductive mm -hmm. to the audience. And I think one, one thing in particular that I wanted to mention that really stood out to me was that after he kind of hurt himself with when you, he was jumping around with the girl. Yeah. And um, she's like, are you okay? And like, that was, that was pretty poignant because that was like a, a really nice like way of describing the juxtaposition in age, right? Mm -hmm. But the thing yeah. that he did that really impressed me was, what's, what happened to Sean? We lost, oh, he's oh, back. There he is, okay. The thing that really impressed me was that he started limping and very subtly after that and then throughout the film and the limp yeah. got gradually worse and worse <laughs> as the rest of the film moved on. So it was like, that's kind of like almost, that's almost kind of like the midway point. And it, it, it's almost like, that's like act two, which is like his deterior, like his full on deterioration on display. So the and, story about that the limping limp thing is, he did is really amazing. I couldn't Yeah, there's a story that. behind the limp is that's his real limp. And as he was getting more and more tired, because you have to realize Tom Cruise talks about this in his own performances, uh, although he's way more egotistical about it. Is when you do a movie and you're in a pool, you're not like in a pool, like swimming like one lap and then you're done for the day. You're, you're swimming like 50 laps, like every take, you know, if it doesn't work or the, the, there's, there's a hair on the lens or something or water gets on the lens, you have to do that take again. And usually it's not, so he's swimming tons and tons of laps. So he started to get tired and he had a limp. So they wrote that limp into the movie because he he couldn't control it anymore. Um, this previous well, it seems like the timing injury. was too perfect for that to be like completely true. Meaning that 
if you think about all of the cuts and edits in this film, like he literally does not limp until the precise moment in the film where he he would start limping. And then the no, limping- he, They wrote the fall in. The fall is not in the original script. Okay, I, I believe that. Mm. But, and they probably shot Oh, so, so he was getting so tired at that point. They're like, all right, we'll just have you fall and then you can do this limp. But the limp got worse. Throughout, I like, think the limp made got it worse, worse as I mean, he's getting progressively more tired. And I think the other thing that- yeah, but those other scenes is, were shot over many, many, many days, probably. Yeah, but they would have shot in was, order. They, they would have been known that he was getting tired anyway, and yeah. that the limp would have come because Burt Bert Lancaster uh, hired a swimming coach because he couldn't swim before this movie at all, and he didn't want to embarrass oh, himself yeah, right. in front of people with aquatics. So he must have known as he was getting tired to tell the writers, it's like, look, we're gonna have to write something in for my limp because as I get, because he spent four to five months training as a swimmer with the mm. uh, Olympic coach of water polo. That's amazing, that little glitch, like the fact that he had that, I mean, that makes the movie so much more interesting. He was in shape too, he did look really good. I mean, for 55 especially. Yeah. But if they, if they probably shot that. standards for sure. Yeah. But they probably shot that movie in order of the movie. They probably shot it in sequence. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah, well, they, they did that stuff back then. They did that. If you're then. shooting outdoors and the leaves are actually changing color and you want that, unless you're going to paint leaves and you uh, have that in the budget, you have to kind of shoot in order. I don't know if they did or not. I mean, but, this was, um, was another this... thing that he, uh, speaking about his control, um, he brought in Sidney Pollack to redirect the scene with his, um, the woman he had the affair with. That's Sidney Pollack directed that scene. He was brought in, they, they knew each other because he had directed, uh, Sidney Pollack was a child acting coach at the time and had directed little bits of stuff around. Maybe he was on the set for the kid. I don't know, but, but anyway, they, they, they basically reshot that whole scene the way Bert wanted it. Um, I didn't like how that scene was directed. I remember watching, Why not? watching it. Why because not? it's a long scene and that's just difficult to, it's like 10 pages. And that's just difficult to direct anyway. Two people for 10 pages, it is. And I guess if this guy, if Sidney Pollack, who wound up being a great director, he wasn't in 1968 because the scenes were just here and then we went here and then we went here and then we went here without any progression in the scene uh no visually or otherwise there's tons of progression well, no, there's, in that scene there's, there's, no, 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 there's one yeah, one revelation let me finish thank you there was no progression in in the scene visually or otherwise that actually demonstrated their relationship that was my sentence thank you give me a break wait, wait there's no he she he says can i do your back then she lets him do her back, even though she doesn't. He asked, her, he asked her seven times. So what? That's six. <laughs> Sorry, I missed it up. Fifteen times. <laughs> All right. Be, be, the whole point is that these are little vignettes that take place at a poolside. What do you, what do you want them to do? No, I, I want to see the progression of their relationship. There's so much only through only through the dialogue. Oh, what? Only through the dialogue. There's and that's not even true, but even if that were true, who if cares? He's screaming at the end of it, she loved it, she loved it. That's not a progression. Is There's so much escalation in that scene. It's it goes it escalates from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. And so so finally she's like, go fucking swim the, the length of a pool and get the fuck out of here, basically. I don't see it. It was just, just sit here like and then sit there and then sit there. And then, yeah, I guess it ended in the pool, but then he's... You didn't even know what their relationship is in the beginning. It, and then you, you know, find out that... And then you think, like, oh, they had a fling, and he's like, you know, you don't know if she's, like, annoyed with him because she's just like, that's the past and it's over, and he's just, like, bothering her. Or that she's... And then you find out that she was, like, crazy about him, and he kept stringing her along. And, like... It built up pretty well. I don't see what the problem is with that. And it and it, it just, also keys you in on some very important information about this guy's situation and how he got to the point where, where he's at now. Um, it's, it shows you some of his behaviors that are really relevant to the plot. I mean, like, I don't yeah. understand. 
Okay. Well, I, I just wish I saw their relationship visually, I don't know, more or something. I didn't get it. I didn't, I, I didn't like it. You just seem like we just move here, move there and move there. I think, you know what, when I first saw it, when I saw the movie, I, I was like a little bit like confused and like, I think, I think the fact that you just saw this movie right before the podcast is like definitely impacting your, like I have this movie got caught in my head and like, and it, it got like after the day after I saw it, I was like, and I think back on it, I was like, wow, that was interesting. And then the next day, I was like, whoa, that was really interesting. Now, I don't know if you and Judy agree uh, uh, about that, but I, I think this is one of those films that, like, you know, it bears, a, it bears like a little bit more, like, I don't know. It, I think it deserves a little bit more respect than you're giving. Okay. I, I understand. I understand. Because Gilbert Godfrey is one of his favorite films. What? Yep. I mean, this is a masterful film in a lot of ways. I get if you don't like it, you yeah. do not like it. But if you can't recognize that there's something, that there's something really special about this film, like yeah, I think I'm going to chime in for a second. Yeah, I want to hear. What um, you're I liked the simplicity of it, but I will say that uh, I watched I think the first half with my husband, and we were like, "This movie is terrible." <laughs> it was like hard to get through. It was slow. I'm just Love. this is our experience. The first half, we were like, okay. Like, there were some points where, like, oh, that's fun, the party, yeah, okay. Oh, it's pretty, the woods. But it was just, like, dragging on and on. Um, I had to watch, I think one of my kids woke up, so I had to watch the rest of the movie the following night. And then that's when I really liked the movie. Then I remember when he asked me about it, I said, actually, that piece of crap that we were watching last night actually turned out to be a really enjoyable film with, I think, a deep, meaning to it and I do give them credit for taking kind of a simple story and loading a lot to it in a very subtle way I don't think the movie is for everybody I also kind of liked in a creepy way how it was kind of like Disney-esque with the woods and the sort of jovialness to it and like the, the young music, girl the music so it's sort of it's a little okay. twisted in that sense but then the I like music with Disney the yeah. music was spectacular it was that just, that was this is yeah. one of the greatest film composers of all time. I don't know how much you guys follow this stuff, but Marvin Hamlish, mm -hmm. this guy, and this was his score. first film. And so, so, um, you know, like, let's let, let me take a moment now to tell you all of the films that this guy has scored. Can I do that real quick? Yep. Yes, please. Um, where are we at? Work. Now, I'll just say this in the duration the next year, Midnight Cowboy came out. Midnight Cowboy has the greatest experimental cinema in the movie. They do very artsy, fartsy things in that movie. Yeah. And they tried to do it here and it just didn't work. I didn't like the slow motion and I didn't like the double matting between the chick and the trees. It's and because all you're a city stuff. boy now, Sean. You grew up in the country and now you're in the city. And this is a this is a Westchester movie, not a New York City movie. Yeah, that's a good it okay, was so Westchester you're right the next okay. film that he did after The Swimmer uh, Marvin Hamlish was Take the Money and Run Woody Allen I'll name some he did Bananas he did The War Between Men and Women The Way We Were The Sting that was a big spy, hit he did The Spy Who Loved Me mm. he, I think he won an Academy Award for The Sting for, was it for The Sting yeah, yeah. he did Ordinary People he nice. did, he, he did Sophie's Choice Mm. He did a street car, 1984 streetcar named Desire, which I didn't know about that. He did Little right. Nikita. <laughs> he did I like that uh, movie. I want to give that movie a, a you do or you don't because that was critical. I do. Fan. I want to. I want to watch it. I want to watch it again. That and Running on Empty. I want to yeah. do two River films. Yeah, he did some interesting stuff. He did um, uh, Missing Pieces, Frankie and Johnny. Um, how to lose, he did a, how to lose a guy in 10 days this is towards the end nice he did the That's informant he, cashed in. he did the informant with uh matt damon matt damon that, that was that, a, that was a good and soderbergh i think yeah yeah so i mean Some of the, this guy was like you could see from this film as schmaltzy as the music was it worked i think it it made it weirder it's like it created like a cool juxtaposition mm -hmm. and um you know I, th I think that like you could, s I think people, when they, when they s heard the music in this film, they were like, that's his first time. I mean, this guy, they could tell this guy was going places and he did. So mm. shout out to him. Rest yeah. in peace, Marvin Hamlish. Marvin Hamlish, Academy Award winner, Marvin Hamlish. Yeah.
The last thing uh, I want to comment on with the film is that um, they re- I really liked the flow of his character and how they portrayed him because in the movie, you're sort of like, I would say I'm kind of like indifferent to him, to Nettie. It's like, okay, everybody likes him, but do they? I don't know. And then as it goes on, you you learn about the truth of him and how he's sort of living a lie. You're like, I don't really like him anymore. And then by the ending, I now feel bad for him. And I like him again in a weird way. Um, so I kind of liked how they portrayed that because I don't, yes, it's an anti-hero, but it's, um, I think he means to be. So I like that. Yeah. I mean, he's like a—he's kind of like full-on and del- complete delusion, which you don't find out until the very end. Yeah. I mean, and I think this is a statement about like the '50s man and the end of the '60s too. Like yeah. everything seemed to be perfect. You had to keep it all together. If you drank, you weren't an alcoholic. If you had a troubled marriage, no one knew that you beat your wife. You know, like everyone thought you were an upstanding father, and it is, and now it's the tail end and you start revealing from neighbor to neighbor, pool to pool that, uh, yeah, his life is not what it was um, yeah. in the fifties. Did, did you it's guys the of the American dream too? Oh yeah. That was in the, yeah. Uh, but yes. did you guys, here's a corny line. I'm a special human being, noble and splendid. Yeah. Yeah, not all the lines were per. I, I will agree with you on that. Some of some of the, I think some of the the lines were a little kind of amateur amateurish. I think that was that was probably like Bert's choice. I mean, he, he Bert Lancaster is charming, and you could do an impression of him. People have, and I think that is a compliment. Here's another uh, saying, uh, an, an, another line he said in the film that I want to turn into a saying. Ready. This is my wagon, man. Whenever anybody oh, yeah. pisses me off, this is my wagon, man. Like when Abrams arguing with, this is my wagon, man. I want to start. I want to do that. We wanted to make a bunch of uh, clips to open the show with, and this is my wagon, man. Yeah, yeah. This is this is my wagon. Here's to sugar on your strawberries. That's a good, be good on a, a sound good slogan. That would be good on a soundboard too. Yeah, right. That's a good yeah. slogan. This is my wagon, man. Like, just to see Burt Lancaster say man, it was like, wait, what? What do you do? This is you know, my another, wagon, man. Another thing. You know what's great about the wagon thing? Here's the thing about the wagon thing scene. It's interesting. It's so fun to he do. He doesn't remember. He doesn't remember that his wife's left him, that he's lost his job. There's certain things. But he remembers that there's a place where his daughter kicked in the side of the wagon and he mended it with plywood. There's little details of his life that he remembers that are insignificant, but the big giant things that other people know, he's in complete denial about, which I think is a really interesting choice by the writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. It was just. Oh my Do you God. think it's possible end- for somebody to actually be like this without copious amounts of drugs? And either. Well, I think brain it's either, damage, like brain either- damage. Either you're on copious amounts of pharma or you just get off the pharma. You were and then you're off and then this could be you. I, I, I've heard about- Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, what was that Scorsese film? Was it Shutter Island? So it yeah, yeah, Shutter Island. With Leonardo DiCaprio. It's kind of, I mean, it's not like that movie at all, but in the sense of he has a complete denial of a portion of his life is very similar. I remember watching a documentary on Dino De Laurentiis who produced- Orca. Um, and they were talking about and and uh <laughs> Conan the Bar- and Conan the Destroyer and uh King Kong. And um, shout out to Dino. His daughter said yeah, that Dino. had a rule. If a movie bombed, they just didn't talk about it. They just moved on to the next movie. They would never talk about any movie that didn't do well. That was it didn't happen. That's a good tactic. God well, bless the Italians. I mean, it's it's a classically male way of controlling a situation, but everybody around you knows that, yeah. you know, dad lost his job or dad drinks a little bit too much or, you know, he thinks his daughters adore him. And by the time, and you believe it too, until you get to the public pool and they're like, you find out the daughters are driving around town with boys, presumably acting, you know, getting locked up and he has the money to like pay their bail. Um, 
So they've, how? It's, but it's, so it's, here's my question. Maybe this is intentionally like vague. How? How destitute am I supposed to believe this guy is? Like, where does he sleep at night? Like, that's why I've always believed exactly. out of a, uh, a a sanitarium, and maybe they stopped paying his bills and they just let him out. <laughs> I don't know. And he just took his swimsuit and he just put his swimsuit on and left and left the rest of his clothes. At least yeah, I think show it's me not something to make sense. Yeah, I just that's I think that the whole film is not, and I and I applaud their choice. At, that is what I'm thinking. Is that I don't think they they thought that through. It's not supposed to be taken um, literally. Oh, I can give you a good backstory for how how he got got there. Okay, he's been please. living he's been living we in Brooklyn. He's been <laughs> all right. So check this out. He's been living in Brooklyn, like fully aware of how messed up his life is. He's like with some other like older like guy with a sob story. They're like roommates, like the odd couple, and it's miserable. And like he he lost his wife, his daughters don't respect him. He's been unemployed, but he's had like a little bit of money, you know, from whatever. Saved. He lost his house, all that stuff, and his life is basically shit, right? But he's going about his life, and he's still going to the clubs and going. He's still macking it to chicks, and he's still like a player, and he's doing all that stuff. But then he finds out that his ex-wife um, is actually getting remarried, and then he has like a complete psychic break. And that's when like everything <laughs> flips and he's like, I got to go back there and find my family and reconnect. I gotta with go. And then he gets up, he takes the, he takes the, the Metro North up to Croton on the Hudson or Yonkers or Make wherever it. the fuck he lives. Make it. Like, with, yeah, basically he's just got a towel and, and a bathing suit on. Everybody's looking at him like he's fucking crazy, but whatever. <laughs> and then he, he gets off the train and he just like take, takes a stroll like to the nearest neighbor that he knows that's close to the train station and 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 he's improvising he doesn't even know what he's doing he's just he's on a mission to 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 get back home to the home that he remembers and then like it just all of every experience he has when he's reconnecting with these people that he hasn't seen in two years every one of those experiences just gets him deeper and deeper into this delusion that like it's really going to happen he's really going to end up at his home and everything's going to be back the way that it was that's what i think happened Wait, I, they I think they I got to think. What? Sorry? They say that in the beginning, that they haven't yes. seen him in two years? Yes. Okay. Uh, it's, it's about, yeah, there's a couple they of say, times. say, where have you been all this time? And yeah. he says, oh, around or something like but that. But there's, there's a certain points where it's implied that it's like a year or two or something since they'd seen him. Okay. At least that's what okay. I remember. I could completely be misremembering it because I've only seen this once. Yeah, I don't remember. Because he does use the word portaging. And I looked that up. And portaging is when you take a boat and you move it from body of water to body of water to body of water. Because the second house he went, he goes to where he meets the blonde girl. One of the guys there is like, well, you're just hiking home. You're just going in swimming pools. You're just hiking home. He's like, not hiking, portaging. And I'm like, what did he say? I had to rewind it and put on like the subtitles to see what he said. Portaging. So I wrote it down, looked it up. So he kind of thinks he's a boat. Going from place to place, boats float. So he's just like floating on things, and the ground reality did probably crumble, crumble out. But here's a here's a question: uh, who got who would you guys cast today as the? Well, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned this. Okay, um, there's a couple people I think. A lot of people I, would I be can't great. Say that many of them are American. Um, I would cast a I'm trying to think. Wait, hold on. Does the film have the same tone? You're just it, recasting. It could change. It could change if you have a if you have the right star, like Bert, because this is like a vehicle. This is yeah. isn't really a film. It's more like a vehicle. I would want okay, someone I'll go, who I'll go first. I would want someone who was like big at one time, and is now like uh, fallen. Like Johnny Depp. Like Johnny Depp. <laughs> Johnny like Depp is Viggo obvious. Mortensen would be good now. Vigo Mortensen's about the right age. You know, I would I want think. somebody less good looking than Burt Lancaster. And I, I, would, I would want to, you know, what just really jumps out at me is Willem Dafoe. I think Willem Dafoe would make a great leading man in this movie. It would change the movie slightly. Okay. But, so, but it would make Dafoe. it more like horror. It would make it more like a thriller type of vibe. Cause this movie kind of is a thriller 
in a way. You're like, what the hell's going on? And I would say if you cast in like another 10 years, like a Ryan Reynolds, it would become like a little bit of like a creep, like a heart comedy type because he has that like. It would, yeah, I, I would do, yeah, I would, would do, Ke- I would do Kevin Costner. Yes, that would be yes. good. Yes, I always yes. liked Kevin. He's kind of bland as an actor, I guess, but I love him. I think he's wonderful. But don't you think you need somebody with more animated facial expressions yeah, than that? That's true. But if you were going like to change the style, yeah, yeah, Mel like Gibson a Mel G- Gibson. But I could see. But if if Kevin directs it or something, I could I could see it be more like a western thing. You know, more like one with nature because this film as as it is is more with society i mean there's a little nature in there when they were running on the force obstacle course man i was like what the fuck are you doing anyway so oh wait seth did you say i grew up in the suburbs like people would walk to the house that had horses all the time and do crazy shit with the horses it was just something we did all right who would you who would you recast i i think judy's thing from Johnny Depp. I think I'd like someone who has like a physical presence like Viggo Mortensen or uh, oh, Viggo. Would be great. Christian I think Bale. Would be great. Ryan Gosling in another 15 Ryan years. Ryan Gosling. Interesting. Yeah. Well, They're Ryan, I think he'd gain weight. They would change the film though. Of course. You yeah. would, yeah. yeah. No, no, nobody could. You, I think you can't. I don't think it's possible to recast something and, and, and have it not change the film fundamentally. Yeah, that's, especially that's in this film. Yeah, especially in a film like this. Yeah. Hey, you, hey, you know what else is cool about this movie? You see Burt Lancaster's ass for like 43 seconds. Yeah, man. Oh, that's he, right. He's ass and he walks, but he oh, walks with the to, nudist ass. to the nudist uh, place. <laughs> they didn't cut away. They let him walk for like 30. See, well, well, there's the a reason for that is because they're talking about him like he's an ass at that moment. But he has nothing. You're yeah, gonna flip absolutely. your hand at me like that when you make like these statements every week about like how like things are connected where obviously no one has thought about that. And this is obviously well thought out. Like the two of them are talking about how he has nothing at that scene. That's the point where and they Bert, go. Yeah, and Bert insists on buying the thousand dollar And then they scratch it out. And his swim at that point is great because he holds his like trunks. Yeah, Sarah was saying that. Why is he holding his trunks like this? And he's doing like the side stroke. He doesn't want it. Have you ever walked around in wet, like from yeah, like you fucking get all raw? So he wants some dry. It was also starting to get cold. Yeah. God, this movie. Because that's when they point out that the uh, the elm is dying. Yeah. God. I would actually like to see Dwayne the Rock Johnson in this and have it be uh, like he fights some people. Like there's no, at least okay, one so fight. I want to talk about it. My friend Dan Casper and I saw this movie and we wanted to redo it about a guy who comes home and he's shell-shocked and he's a martial artist and he's going to fight oh, Christ. every at every dojo until he makes it back to his home. He's going to fight his whole way home through every Kung Fu Kwun and and dojo and brazilian and he's gonna fight his whole way home that i think they should remake that movie yeah and they should make it in such a way that like every dojo he visits to like yo chill out what the fuck and and he actually forces the fight to happen because yeah, none of these guys are relax. nobody even remembers yeah like, you used to pick on me you used to pick on me when i was a little kid yeah yeah that's a good one yeah, yeah. he he find, he tries to find every bully on the way home that he can from his childhood I mean, that would be like a great episode if, like, it wasn't a stupid show of uh, that uh, of of Cobra Kai. They could do a swimmer episode of Cobra Kai. God, that show is so stupid. Why did I force myself to watch every fucking Um, episode of it? So there's also season um, one. Let me give you some more trivia about this movie. Wait, so guys, we got to start wrapping. We got to start wrapping up soon. Kim Hunter, who was uh, Stella in Streetcar, and Zira in Planet of the Apes, is in this supporting actress, 1951. Yep, Best Supporting Action, 1951. And the girl who, she really didn't do much else, who played Julie, was a second choice because Ilya Kazan's wife at the time, who had played the Marilyn Monroe part in After the Fall on Broadway and won the Tony, she was supposed to do it. And Kazan, who liked to manipulate his friends' careers a lot, said, no, you can't do the swimmer. I don't want you doing that movie. 
So uh, I think her name was Donna London. Godin? One of Ely Kazan's wives was supposed to be in that part. Oh, and wow. Kazan said, no, you can't do it. Hmm. So, Interesting. So, yeah. So, um, Who's the next choice? I think it's, a, is it Judy? I think it's me. I believe it's Judy. And then I think you have two because we skipped. No, you. no, no, I screwed up. One of them was, I, it was I never published it. That's why it was uh, Donnie's uh, bar mitzvah. Donnie's bar mitzvah because right. there were so many problems with it. Okay. So, so yeah. Um, they they didn't deserve this anyway. <laughs> Judy, what do you? Ready for my choice? Yeah. Okay. I don't know if you guys have seen this film. It's from 1988. It's like a drama comedy. Um, it is made in part by Ireland, the UK, and England, starring, hold on, Daryl Hannah, Peter O'Toole, Steve Gutenberg, Beverly D'Angelo, Liam Neeson. High Spirits. High Spirits. Wait, directed by so... Neil Jordan and Steve yes. Gutenberg. <laughs> this is Wait, a star uh, studded cast. Wait, who's yeah. in this? What? Steve Gutenberg, Daryl Hannah, uh, Jennifer Tilly, Peter O'Toole, Liam Neeson. I've never seen this one. I'm mixing it up with the one where Peter O'Toole is the inventor. And he no, this one, he runs an Irish that. castle. It's his family castle. And I think they're going out and he basically decides to advertise it as a haunted castle. And he tries to set it up as it's haunted and a bunch of American tourists come to stay, including a paranormal expert. And... Um, it's a little bit of it. So basically it was made for, I think, 15 or 16 million and it grossed about eight. Yep. Uh, Daryl Hannah was nominated for a Razzie. Um, it has a 27% rating on Rotten Tomatoes by critics, but like a 78 or an 80 for uh, viewers. Oh, really? So it's basically like a steaming turd that's fun. Yes, um, I think so. It came out in '88. I don't think I saw it when I was eight years old, but um, I and I don't remember when I saw it, but I remember watching it a lot growing up at a certain period of time. So I'm going to say it was probably like my middle school, um, and it was probably for me because it's a little bit like dark, and there's like a little bit of murder, and there's like a little bit of sex. You know, Jennifer Tilly's in it, and there's like a scene with her and the priest, and so it was like sort of like devious enough that my mom would let me watch this movie. Um, and, um, I'm curious to see, I watched a little bit of it the other night and, um, I don't know, it's just fun. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Monty Python ish to it. Um, who else? Um, and it's just like a great cast. They're so young. It's I'm excited for this one. This is, yeah. And it was the same year as Beetlejuice. So I guess this was in the ether back then. Like yeah, like haunted house comedies were like yes. going across. I love all these eighties movies that you guys pick because like I never see, I haven't seen like hardly any movies from this this time period. Before yeah. we go, I wanted I wanted to do this because I forgot. I just want Abram tell us what's wrong with with Burt Lancaster's body from a physical. Pattern. Oh, I know, I know. Go ahead. It's his right kidney. His kidney? He has a okay. scar on his right kidney. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that too. I see what you're oh. saying. Yeah, he had, a, he had a scar. Well, he's, I mean, you know. I thought that's what Seth Michael was referring to. Seth, I wasn't no, I'm talking you were from a physical. Yeah. From like a movement, body language oh. standpoint. Like, Sorry. Um, Sorry. Okay. You know, um, he looks like a guy who's was pretty genetically gifted, had like a natural athletic body mm-hmm. and probably, you know, got it beaten up quite a bit. And from the time that he was like in his twenties to then, like he probably fell off a few horses in the early part of his career. You know, the, the limp is just like, yeah. I mean, I think he's dealing, he's clearly an injured man who wasn't able to figure out how to fix his injuries because most people, back then nobody really understood how to do that back then you know they just take drugs and get massages and whatever mm-hmm. i mean the guy just has the guy just looks like an athlete uh, an an older he looks like an older retired athlete who's 
gotten a lot of wear and tear on his body, but he knows how to fake it. <laughs> I mean, this is more based off of like just what you said, Seth, you know, about how he, that was his natural limp. I didn't know that, you know, I'm not, yeah. I'm not like some kind of a, like, I'm not like a, some kind of genius cold, you know, reading type of guy when it comes to people's posture and, and biomechanics especially with actors it's really hard because they're faking a lot of stuff and they're putting yeah. on a lot of like a lot of it is art like a lot of the way that actors move is artificial it's that's like not their natural gait and yeah. i would have no way of knowing that i mean not mm -hmm. really i have the, the only thing the only way i can really analyze people's gait is like when i see them walking down the street like the way that they would normally walk to go places and that's not how he was moving you know because he's yeah. an actor so but yeah you know he definitely looked like he's a bit jacked up but all all things considered i mean you know he had a pretty decent like his his scapula looked pretty healthy compared to like most people his age i don't know man i don't know it's hard to tell it's hard to tell Maybe yeah, in other movies it would be more. He was an acrobat in the circus. Yeah, exactly. I mean, people right. who do that kind of like that—that—that's that, the kind of body he has. He has the body of a guy who had the uh, the natural gifts to be able to get into things like acrobatics. But then those types of activities degenerate your body. Like ballet dancers and acrobats have some of the most fucked up joints, and gymnasts, mm. gymnasts, acrobats, acrobats and gymnasts are kind of the same thing. But like gymnasts, acrobats, and. Uh, and and uh, like ballet dancers are are complete and completely messed up. So, you know, mm. and they usually like last longer than other people just because they had the natural gifts to begin with. But I never seen a I never seen an acrobat in their fifties who isn't dealing with some kind of like serious problems. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. Joint joints can't really take that kind of uh, pounding for that long. Like, you know, like our bodies didn't evolve to be able to like balance on our shoulders and do, like, yeah. that's not natural. And, you know, people can do it, but it's always causes problems. So yeah, if you're telling me he was an acrobat, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. But anyway. Spirits. Um, all right, cool. Looking forward to cool. high spirits. <laughs> Look at Judy. She's so proud of her choice. Yeah, no, she, and this <laughs> is the first the like non-thrillers. Like, <laughs> this is the first genre like film of this genre that you've picked right like you you've mostly done like horror and thrillers i've right? done horror i mean I, yeah i guess bloody mary wasn't really a comedy zombies. um <laughs> zombies, zombies i don't think i've picked a comedy yet zombies. no i mean i loved clue but um yeah usually i pick like dark weird stuff i don't know i feel like my choices are always like really weird and not as good as yours but um i disagree i don't care <laughs> hey, i think guys. every what? I saw a trailer for a Chuck Norris movie from 1985. Yeah. Get ready. And I'll tell you this. <laughs> oh, I was no. so mad at, at seeing this movie. I told Sarah that I was going to make Seth Michael watch Tron Legacy. That's how mad I was. That's not an obscure movie, dude. 